Welcome to the Highly Leveraged Podcast, interviewing landlords and industry professionals to help you start and continue to scale your rental income portfolio. Here's your host, Dave Rosa. What's up? Welcome to my midlife crisis. My name is Dave Rosa, and this is the Highly Leveraged Podcast. This is episode triple zero. It's just going to be a little bit about me and how the hell I got here. I'm also going to give you a little bit of 401k data. Might make you question if uh, saving your way to retirement is right for you. I know I found out that it wasn't right for me. So listen up. Moving forward, this podcast will be interviews with industry professionals and residential landlords building their own portfolios. I just released my first one today with Dan Rice. You're going to love it. Money back guarantee. You can find my podcast on all the normal channels, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora. You can even ask Alexa to play it for you. So first, a little bit about me. I'm 41. I've become absolutely obsessed with rental income properties over the last couple of years, and I completely fell into it by accident. Back in early 2018, my wife Christine and I had saved up some money, and we were looking for a way to invest it and enjoy it at the same time. My first thought was we'll put an in-ground pool in the backyard, We'll get to enjoy that all summer, and we'll get to, it will raise the value of the house. After doing some quick research, I realized that it really doesn't raise the value of the house all that much, so that was out the window. My second thought was, let's go get a lake house up in New Hampshire. We can rent that thing out on Airbnb all summer, and we'll get to use it for a week or two a year for free. Then I realized we really didn't have that much money. So I put that in the back burner. I was a little discouraged at the time. So a few months later, we went up to the White Mountains in New Hampshire to rent a side-by-side ATV. If you're not familiar with what that is, it's basically like a dune buggy, but it's made for dirt trails. If you listen to this when I first launched it in May of 2021, I just posted some pictures on our social media, so go check it out. It's a really cool area. It's at Highly Leveraged Pod on Facebook or Instagram. If you're driving right now, I put some uh, links in the show notes so you can check it out later. So we had an absolute blast that day. These ATVs are street legal up there. You can whip through a Mickey D's, grab yourself a McMuffin, and then head out right onto the trails. So on my way home that day, I was thinking this would be a great place to buy a house. You got the ATVs during the summer. You got snowmobiling and skiing in the winter. It's only 10 miles from Mount Washington and other big attractions in the area. So when I got home, I searched for houses in the area, and I actually found one that was right on the main road that we drove by six times earlier that day, and I never even noticed it. They were asking 65000 The place was an absolute disaster. The first floor needed a whole hell of a lot of TLC. Second floor was completely gutted. You could see from one end of the house to the other, just studs. There was no walls, no ceilings, just a subfloor. The bathroom was completely dismantled. No shower. It was fugly. So we drove back up there the next weekend, four and a half hours round trip. Took a look at the house for just 10 minutes. I mean, there wasn't a whole hell of a lot to look at. Half the house was missing. So we got home. We talked about it. We ended up offering 59000 Little did I know what I was in for. My original plan was to get some contractors to do most of the renovations, but there was no one available up there. People were booked out. Two of the places said that they were booked out for over a year to do the drywall. So over the next nine months, I ended up having to bust my ass driving up there 36 out of 39 weekends. Four and a half hours round trip through rain, sleet, snow, uphill both ways. Every time I went up there, I was working until I passed out. For the first few months, it was on an air mattress before I actually got a bed up there. So I finally did find a drywall guy seven months into the reno. I mean, this guy had no business name, no impression on the internet. I'm not even sure he knew what the hell the internet was. He had a flip phone. Might even have had a beeper. He showed up in an F-150 looking like Joe Shit the Ragman, as my father would say. 
I mean, there's no wonder I couldn't find this guy. Uh, he didn't. He didn't even finish until 27 days before our first Airbnb guest was set to arrive. I still had to prime and paint the entire second floor, the walls and the ceilings, put in the door frames, the doors, all the molding, lights, furniture, wall decor, and have all the flooring put in in the middle of that. It was a complete hell month. I didn't think there was any chance we were going to get it done. Christine and I had to use our week-long vacation to live up there to finish it up. We ended up working the whole entire week that we were up there. We finished and left two hours before the first guest arrived. I was afraid that they were going to show up while we were still there. Now, my original plan was to get this thing finished up in three months, bring up my snowmobile, buy a side-by-side, build a little shed for that son of a bitch, and have that midlife crisis that way. Then we would rent it out on the weekends when we when we didn't go up there just to supplement the expenses. And then uh, probably in a couple years or so, we'd turn around and sell it for a profit. But during that nine months, we incurred so much debt, I thought we were going to have to turn around and flip it as soon as we were done. I mean, you're talking about mortgage, taxes, insurance electric heating oil internet plus all the money and renovations we were completely broke but once we got this thing rolling on airbnb this thing just turned into an atm just spitting out money everything went wrong for that first nine months and then it turned to absolute gold the average airbnb occupancy is 48 percent. we were doing 66 percent. we did a total of thirty nine thousand dollars in revenue over the next 14 months all our expenses we cash floated at twelve hundred and fifty dollars a month I was like, I might have a new occupation here. So during that nine months and beyond, I drove well over 200 hours back and forth, and I was listening to a ton of real estate podcasts. Now I started out looking for shows to learn about Airbnb hosting, but most of the long term, most of them were about long term rentals, like this one here. I really wasn't interested in being a landlord at all, but I listened because I like to listen. I'm a good listener. Just ask my wife. I'm a good listener, ain't I, babe? She shook her head, yes. So I used all that knowledge I learned listening to those podcasts to pull out money out of our primary home by way of HELOC, the home equity line of credit. The bank ended up giving us $85,000 in February of 2020, and we set, set it out to make it a goal that we were going to buy three multifamily homes up in that same area by the end of 2020. Well, anybody who knows anything about 2020 knows that the pandemic hit just a few weeks later. And of course, uh, we weren't going to do anything. We were going to kick back, wait for the 15 days to slow the spread. So over the next five months, I'm watching my spreadsheet, watching Zillow, all of these houses are just flying off, disappearing left and right, being sold. And I was like, okay, I guess it's time for us to get back into this. So we went up there and went bonkers and bought three multifamily houses in 60 days. And that's where we sit now. We got four properties with nine doors. We had three of the units managed by property management, but we canned their ass because it was freaking awful. Goddamn clown factory up there. But that's a whole other story for another day. They completely sucked it and duffed it on us. Uh, I, in the future, I might try to get my wife to sit down with us and we'll have an episode talk about our experiences, good and bad. So just a couple months ago, we circled back around on that first house and we refinanced it. Uh, we originally bought it for 59000 at 4.75%. And the way everything's been going, the prices are going up, the interest rate's going down. Well, it just appraised for $135,000. We were able to get a loan on 70% of that. So it's 101000 That was only a 3.5% interest. So after paying off the existing mortgage we had, we ended up getting $52,000 at closing. Between the Airbnb income we got over those 14 months and that $52,000 check, we paid off every dime we ever spent on that house, including everything from down payment, all the money we put into it, all the furniture, every single dime. So we now have that house completely free and clear of our own money, and we're up $29,000 on it. 
Plus, it's still cash flowing every single month moving forward. We essentially did a long-term burr strategy on that, which stands for buy, rehab, rent it out, refinance it to get your money out, and then go repeat it on your next house. So we decided last October to rent that house out long-term. We have a family of four in there now. The reason we decided to change off of Airbnb is it's just, it's so much more work. It's great. I wouldn't ever say anything bad about it. We killed it, but we needed more time to free up when we were buying the extra eight units. So we got to sell off all that furniture and, and uh, made a little extra money off of that as well. I mean, thinking back to that time laying on the air mattress in an empty house in the middle of no, nowhere, wondering what the hell I got myself into and then what this house turned into, it's just, I never could have imagined it being this great. Now, with that new $101,000 mortgage, it did raise our payment $208 a month, so that cuts into our cash flow a little bit. But if you take a step back and look at it, almost $100 a month is coming out in principle. So if you look at it that way, it's really only costing us about $108 a month to get $52,000 cash in hand. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a genius or anything, but... Hey, babe, am I a genius? She's shaking her head yes again. All right, enough about us. Got 401k? Bet you do. When I got my first real job way back when, everyone told me the 401k was great. Just set it and forget it. At 40 years old, I only had $43,000 in my 401k. Christine only had $23,000. So I realized at that point that we're never going to have enough to retire. I asked Christine, do you want to be a Walmart reader until the day you die? I mean, have you seen the people that shop at Walmart? No offense, but I don't want to live out my retirement in there. So I tried withdrawing my 401k in late 2019, but my HR lady told me that I, that I had to quit to access it. And I was like, don't tempt me, I'm in the middle of a midlife crisis here. But seriously, it's my money, it kind of pissed me off. I mean, I can't withdraw my own money. So six months later, because of the pandemic, the CARES Act came out. So I got a chance to call up my HR lady again and said, hey, I'd like my $43,000 please. Week later, $43,000 in my mailbox. Alright, stop making this about me. Yeah, I'm talking to myself. Don't worry, I do this all day long. I just don't usually record it and put it on the internet. Anyway, are you on track to have enough to retire? You probably just said it and forget it like I did. CNBC suggests that to retire at 67 years old, you need to have 80% of your final year's salary each year of your retirement. Now, what the hell does that mean? Do you know how long you're going to live? Do you have the your palm read by that voodoo lady down at the beach? Another popular notion is you need to have 10 times your final year's salary. So let's say you and your spouse make $100,000 a year combined right now, and you're 40 years old. Using conservative numbers, we'll say you each only get a 50 cent raise per year. That's just over a $2,000 raise combined each year. On this scenario, you'd be making $156,000 at age 67. 80% of that would mean that you would need $125,000 each year of your retirement. Now, when did the voodoo lady at the beach say you were going to croak? 87? That would mean that you would need $2.5 million to retire at 67 years old. Now, I was surprised to find out that the average age of natural cause of death in the U.S. is only 79 years old. So in that scenario, you'd only need $1.5 million. My question is, is that how you want to live out your retirement, hoping that you die before you run out of money? Do you want to end up like Matt Foley? I'm sick and tired of living in a van down by the river! God, that was a great skit. So according to NerdWallet.com, which is an actual website, I'm not making this up, the median 401k balance of a person in their 30s is only $16,500. Now that's the median, not the average. Median means it's the exact middle. So out of every American in their 30s, half of them have less than $16,500 in their 401k. Half the people in their 40s have less than $36,000. 
Half the people in their 60s still have less than $62,000 in their 401k. Are you one of them? Now, some of them have other investments or don't need a 401k. So check out your 401k. See where you're at. I added a link in the show notes below. Go check it out. Punch in your numbers. See where you're at. You might find out that you're on your way to disaster and you don't even know it. So why is investing in rental income so great? I'm glad you asked. Well, you only have to put down 20% on a single family home, 25% on a two to four unit property, and you get 100% of the benefit of that asset. The four ways you make money are monthly cash flow, the leftover money from the rental minus expenses each month, principal pay down, which is within your expenses. Each month, your tenant's paying down that mortgage for you. Appreciation of the home and depreciation on the asset, which is a tax write-off. It's a paper loss. So, for example, a single-family house, $100,000, and you have to put 20% down, that's $20,000 if you really suck at math. You're left with an $80,000 mortgage. That mortgage at 3.5% interest rate is a $359 a month payment. Let's say the tax is $140 a month, insurance is $50 a month. That's a total of $549 a month in expenses. Now, let's say you rent that house out. Uh, We'll do the uh, 1% rule. You buy the house for $100,000. 1% of that's $1,000 a month. So you rent it out for $1,000 a month minus that $549 expense. That leaves uh, $451 left over each month. Now, the general rule is to take out 15% of gross rent for vacancy and maintenance. So that would be $150 off of that which leaves you with $301 cash flow each month. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but over 30 years, it's $108,000. Also within your expenses, you're getting that principal pay down. So after 30 years, you're going to own that house outright. Now, the average appreciation on a home is 4% per year. That home would be worth $324,000 in 30 years. Now, let's say it's a little bit less than average. I'll cut that by a third. So it's uh, 4%, raise that to the fifth power. That's 2.66%. That house would be worth $220,000. Add in the $108,000 in cash flow, and that's a total of $328,000 return on your $20,000 investment 30 years prior. But wait, there's more. I didn't take into consideration any rent increases over that 30 years. I also didn't take into consideration any of the depreciation savings on your taxes. Furthermore, after that 30 years, that $359 mortgage would be gone, and that money would be coming to you every month. So the average rent increase is 3-4% to per year, Let's stay conservative with the numbers again, and I'll, I'll, stay with, I'll stay with the 2.66% that I just used. Rent would gradually increase over that 30 years from $1,000 up to $2,200 a month. So that $328,000 return is extremely, extremely conservative. Now, I know a lot of people out there are interested in rental income investing, but they get stuck in that paralysis by analysis. I, just get on it. Go do your due diligence. I mean, don't just do what I did and drive by a house six times randomly and then go back and buy it the next weekend. But I mean, you can read every book. You can listen to every podcast in the world, but experience will teach you a hell of a lot more than any of it ever will. Well, after that glowing endorsement, why don't you go subscribe to my podcast? Now, if you're saying, yeah, but I don't have the money, well, get out there and make it or save it. We saved our money over years and we're stupid frugal. So for the last six years, our fridge leaks water from the freezer into the fridge. I have to empty two buckets out twice a week. Our kitchen floor has lost all the grout lines and the tiles. You can't even sweep it. You have to vacuum it or all get stuck in the cracks. We have an ugly-ass countertop microwave. Do people still have those? Our washing machine is a hand-me-down that makes a ton of noise. I drive a 2003 Tundra. Things sweet. Crank down windows. Nice rust undercoating. Things a beast. My laptop's eight years old. I got this thing propped up right now so that the air flows underneath it so it doesn't overheat on me. It's still recording this podcast right now. Better be.
My point is, you can cut corners and save money. I could go out and replace all that tomorrow with brand new stuff. But why? It's still working. I'd rather go spend my money on stuff that's going to bring me income. I could go buy my dream car right now. Dodge Challenger, supercharged Hellcat. I want an official Red Rider Carbon Action 200 range ball arrow. I would lose my license. Good lord, that thing's sweet. 700 plus horsepower? Whew. Anyway, it's about sacrifice and hard work. If you come home from work and play on your phone all night or watch Netflix, you're only screwing your future self. The average American watches four hours of TV per day. That's 28 hours a week, more than an entire day. Two months of the entire year sitting in front of your TV. Add in the amount of time you're in bed and you're spending half your life doing absolutely nothing. Use some of that TV time, make some extra money, or at least research on bettering yourself and how to make money in the future. And that's how we did it. We're not rich. Frugal? Guilty. So get out there and get after it. My first episode is out now with Dan Rice. By far the best interview I've ever done. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio. Alexa, play the Highly Leveraged Podcast. She must be outside. I'll be here every Monday morning. Subscribe to get new episodes each week. Later. Thank you for listening to the Highly Leveraged Podcast. Leave a review and subscribe to get new shows automatically downloaded every Monday morning. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Highly Leveraged Pod. And check out our website at HighlyLeveragedPod.com for more info. I think I finally fixed it now. Peppa Pig is a polarizing piece of pork. Nailed it. Three, two, one. I mean, I, I was surprised to find out that the natural cause death, the average natural cause death, Jesus Christ, the average age of natural cause of death. There you go. And boom goes the dynamite.